while the elites gathered again last week in Davos, Switzerland, to conspire with one another about how to save the world from people like you and me. Of course, they talked about climate change. They talked about how they're going to buy up all the property, how they're basically going to take over all private entities and corporations to, you know, make our lives better. So we've got Justin Haskins here to decode everything that was talked about at Davos last week. Uh, He's going to tell us about the World Economic Forum again and what is really going on, the different initiatives that they're talking about, many that they're not talking about, why we should care and What the heck we can do about all of this? If you have not listened to my previous episodes with Justin Haskins, you need to go do that. Um, They are the most popular episodes that I have because he is so interesting and you guys love him so much because he teaches us a lot. So go listen to those. We'll link them in the description of this episode. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use promo code Allie at checkout. That's GoodRanchers.com. Code Allie. Justin, thanks so much for joining us again. I'm having you on because the world's elites met last year or last week again in Davos. So tell us what went on. Why should we care? Yeah, so many crazy things happened in just such a short period of time. Yeah. Uh, Davos only lasts for around four or five days. And so it, but but there's so I mean, there's literally like I think there was over 200 different presentations tons of crazy important stuff that that's been going on in Davos and um, and not necessarily the stuff that everybody is talking about. There's a lot of stuff kind of underneath the surface that not necessarily is tied to some crazy quote or some ominous picture or some crazy video or something that I think is really important. Um, even though maybe on the surface, it seems a little bit boring. It's actually, it's actually not. So uh, Davos this year, um, like many years that, Davos hosts an event. Mm -hmm. The theme is how do we bring the entire global world together to pursue this one common cause? And that one common cause being giving elites more power to manage life (laughs) in in America and in Europe and elsewhere, um, using as a sort of justification a crisis. So a lot of people will remember back from the conversations that we had in 2020 and after 2020 about the Great Reset campaign, uh, which now nobody in Davos ever talks about. No one ever uses that language anymore for some reason. But the Great Reset campaign in 2020, when it was was focused on the pandemic and how do we build back better from the pandemic and use this as a a way to uh, create, in their minds, positive change. in 2021, they were still kind of building on the pandemic and it was still a lot of great reset type stuff, even if they weren't using that language. Well, in 2022, the focus is back to things that they had done prior to 2020. It's a lot of climate change talk. That's a huge part of it. How do we deal with this existential threat of climate change and mm-hmm. use that as a justification to reset the, the global economy? And, uh, and of course, how do we deal with this fact that you see China and Russia and Iran and other countries around the world kind of pulling away from the West and going in their own direction. And you have the war in Ukraine and and that playing into everything as well. So that's the overarching theme. How do we use those crises to sort of reset the global economy? But the specific programs that they offered throughout this um, four or five day event I think we're really telling. It had a lot to do with financial institutions, 
banks and on uh, and uh, Wall Street and other big firms and how they can use their power to promote um, uh, the sort of great reset agenda. Um, and the the most important one for me was something called the Giving to Amplify Earth Action Initiative. Hmm. Giving to Amplify Earth Action Initiative. Okay. Uh, the, the, the acronym for that is GAIA, okay? And for those who don't necessarily know, GAIA is in Greek mythology, the goddess that sort of personifies the earth, okay? So hmm. there's a lot of really bizarre things that go on in Davos, but GAIA is this massive, massive initiative to uh, use philanthropy to try to promote certain parts of the Great Reset agenda, giving the elites more power and control uh, over society and sort of the further centralization of property ownership and things like that in the hands of big institutions and wealthy investors and that sort of thing. So um, Gaia is a plan to raise $3 trillion a year three trillion dollars a year uh they already have 45 partnerships with these massive massive nonprofits, which are all going to help funnel money into this gaia initiative um so some of the partners include uh the, the bezos earth fund which is of course related to jeff bezos um, the Open Society Foundations, that's George Soros, uh, the Rockefeller Foundation, the United Nations Foundation, um, so among many others. So all these organizations are figuring out how they can funnel $3 trillion a year into this initiative to battle climate change, promote renewable energy causes, and the most important part of it is to buy property for conservation. Hmm. So. I think that Gaia is an incredibly important uh, initiative because $3 trillion a year can actually buy you quite a bit of property. Um, and as we've talked about in the past, uh, elites and Blackstone and BlackRock and others buying up property and managing property is a big part of this whole idea behind the Great Reset of, you know, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy owning nothing. And if we just manage society and have control of the property, then we'll all be better off for it. Uh, so I think Gaia is really the, a, a big step in that direction because they clearly have figured out a way to utilize nonprofits and, and the tax advantages of, of using nonprofits to, to gobble up property and to help push the sort of Biden agenda um, globally um, through yeah. this initiative. And what do you say to the people who say, well, this isn't really affecting us or it's not going to affect us imminently? I saw some tweets like that, I think, from conservatives when Davos was happening, saying, you know what, there are a lot, you know, there are bigger fish to fry. There are things closer to home that are happening. Who cares what a bunch of old geezers say that they want to do? Their dreaming and scheming doesn't really affect us. How do you think this could affect us pretty soon? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think there's any truth to that whatsoever. I think people who say that just really haven't spent the time looking into what's been going on over the past decade. There has been a massive, massive push over the last 10 years and longer to centralize um, not only control of property, but the amount of property, the amount of stock, the amount of 
of uh, financial institutions and things like that in the hands of a relatively small group of people. And those people have been using that power to transform society in a way that they see fit alongside sort of left-wing goals, but doesn't necessarily have to be that, but it, it happens to be a lot of left-wing goals. That's what the Great Reset movement is all about. It's about pushing the reset button on the global economy. That's their own definition of what the Great Reset was supposed to be. It's about rewriting social contracts. That's another thing that they say all the time. That's not some conspiracy theory. That's something that they say. And so um, people say, well, you know, the World Economic Forum doesn't have any actual power. It's not a governing body of any kind. It's, it's a nonprofit organization, essentially. And, and that's true. It's not as though they can pass a law and then throw people in jail or something if they don't follow it. But the power of the World Economic Forum is in the fact that they can get more than 50 heads of state together in a room, along with the biggest bankers in the world, along with the biggest uh, Wall Street firms in the world, along with uh, a whole bunch of lower level government people and nonprofits and activists, and they can all come up with a sort of unified game plan for how they're going to go about, in their minds, making the world a better place, but in our minds, restricting freedom, um, uh, eliminating sort of national sovereignty or limiting the power of national sovereignty. Uh, consolidating wealth and power and, and property in the hands of the few. And that's what this that's what this guy initiates a perfect example of that. Three trillion dollars is an incredible amount of money uh, to give people some sense of of what that means. If you take all there was this study that was done in I think it was 2015 or 2016 by the US government where they analyzed how much the value of all the land in the continental United States was worth. So not the buildings that on the land, but all the land itself. If we, if, if we could just sell all the land in America, what would be the value of the land? And all the land combined in the entire United States, the national parks, everything, was about $23 trillion, a little less than $23 trillion. Um, so $23 trillion is less than 10 years of this Gaia initiative, if they actually are able to come up with this $3 trillion a year. All the homes in the United States sold in 2022 combined was just a little over $3 trillion. So 6 million houses for sale that were actually sold. Um, you add up all of the value of those houses and the sale, average sales price for them, it was a little over $3 trillion. So $3 trillion a year is enough to buy every single home for sale in the United States. It's enough to buy over several years all of the land in the United States. Okay, so I'm not saying they're going to do that, but that's the kind of power that $3 trillion a year has. So for people to say, well, you know, this doesn't really matter or this doesn't really affect me. Well, it does affect you because when you want to go buy a home and you can't buy a home because the value has skyrocketed um, and, the, and you don't have trillions of dollars in assets under management like they do, and you're not in bed with all these gigantic banks that are giving loans, um, then I don't see how you can possibly compete with that is going to affect your life. Yeah. And not only that, but just, you know, when your landlord is Blackstone or your landlord is someone affiliated with one of these large institutions, and they're the ones setting the rules for what you can do in your home, or the insurance companies are deciding what kind of power source you can have, whether you can use natural gas or you have to have solar panels on your roof or, um, you know, 
banks are deciding that they're not going to give car loans to people who want to buy anything other than an electric car. These are all things that have been talked about at Davos and elsewhere. And there are a whole bunch of social issues and things like that that are tied into it as well. But yeah, I mean, I, I just don't think people have done enough research who make those kinds of claims. All right, quick pause to tell you guys about a new sponsor that I'm super excited about, and that is Factor. Factor Meals. This is an amazing company, amazing service. If you're like me and you're trying to eat healthier this year, especially when it comes to lunch, I would say lunch is the hardest meal for me to make sure that I am making a healthy choice, and Factor makes that a lot easier. They send you ready-to-eat meals on dry ice, to your front door. Their fresh, never frozen meals are ready in just two minutes. All you have to do is heat and enjoy. They've got different meals that go along with the keto diet or vegan. If you're into that, they've got protein plus meals, 34 chef prepared, dietitian approved weekly options. There's always something new to try. My husband and I absolutely love Factor. We also get the smoothies um, that come in the mail. I love drinking those for breakfast. They're really, really good. All different kinds of options. It really just does make my life so much easier and saves me so much time. So go to factormeals.com, factor, F-A-C-T-O-R, meals.com slash Allie60. And then use code Allie60 to get 60% off your first box. It's an amazing deal. Factormeals.com slash Allie60. Use code Allie60 to get 60% off your first box. Factormeals.com slash Allie60. Code Allie60. They also seem, people at Davos, the World Economic Forum, they seem kind of, I don't know, surprised, perturbed, certainly, that people like you and me aren't on board with it and they condemn these actions, um, you know, of they would call the journalists there like rebel media trying to harass them or things like that. Like, it's almost like they're a little confused as to why there's a negative reaction to them trying to rearrange our lives and take away things Um that we need. And so here's Klaus Schwab kind of complaining about that a little bit at Davos. We need to overcome the most critical fragmentation. And the most critical fragmentation is between those who take a constructive attitude and those who are just bystanders, observers, and even go into the negative, critical, and confrontational attitude. Okay, so it's hard to understand what he's saying, but the theme of the whole meeting was like how to basically come together to rearrange society in a fragmented world. And that's kind of what he's talking about there. The different fragments, the people who are going to go along with what we're doing, and then you've got the people who have a confrontational attitude who aren't going to go along with what we're doing. What do you think their plans are for the people who don't want to go along with what they're doing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that, uh, I know at some point we're going to talk about disinformation and things like that. I mean, I think that <laughs> That's a big part of all of this. The sort of Davos response going back to the Great Reset and even prior to that, but especially with the Great Reset, because that's when a lot of negative, a lot of negative criticisms uh, became extremely widespread, especially on the right, ideological right, and and they they started 
uh, having to explain themselves, this really crazy language that they were using, like I mentioned before, you know, rewriting the social contract. And every country in the world must participate from China to the United States. Every industry must be transformed. We need a great reset of the global economy. They would say things like this. And then they would wonder why people are so upset when you're talking about upending the entire social order and you're talking about rewriting social contracts and you're talking about, uh, you know, needing to deal with uh, various kinds of speech that you don't like on social media platforms. You know, why are people so concerned by that? Uh, and their response has generally been, well, the only reason anybody opposes our institutions having more power, having more influence, having more wealth, uh, because we're really benevolent dictators. I mean, you guys would love us as dictators. Like, you would just love it. The reason why anyone opposes it is because you've been told something that's not true. You've been told a lie. You've been fed misinformation. And now a lot of you are spreading this misinformation or disinformation. And you're telling, you're, you're, you're sort of repeating these lies over and over and over again on social media and elsewhere. Um, you know, you're saying crazy things like, you know, we we want to control every aspect of your life and, you know, that we want to manage everything in society. And that's not true. I know we say things like that, but that's that's not really what we mean. We, we really are going to do this for your own benefit. And and so I do. And I do think there is like a savior complex that exists within Davos. Like I actually do think that many of them believe that if they just had more wealth and power and control, the world would be a lot better off. So why are you stupid people getting in the way of this? Yeah. And I think that that's just kind of a left-wing idea that has existed across the course of human civilization. Yeah. There is always, and really going back way, 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 I mean, thousands of years you go back, there's always been a group of people in society who believe that if they just had more power and control, everyone's life would be better. And, and, and then anyone who stands in the way of that is a backwards person who's clinging to their guns and religion and in the words of Barack Obama and, and just doesn't understand what they're doing. They just yeah. don't even understand. Yeah. And I think that that's the attitude of Klaus Schwab and others. It, it, I don't think that the thought that maybe we shouldn't have power and wealth and control centralized in the hands of a relatively small group of people of international, you know, who are international elites, that, that, that maybe that's a bad idea. I don't think that crosses their minds at all. I yeah. just think it's a matter of how do we convince people this is a good idea. Right. Well, here is uh, John Kerry talking about that select group of what you're talking about. This is the select group of virtuous people who really get it. And that's why they need to be the ones who are in charge. So here he is. And when you stop and think about it, it's pretty extraordinary that we select group of human beings because of whatever touched us at some point in our lives are able to sit in a room and come together and uh, actually talk about saving the planet. I mean, it's so almost extraterrestrial to think about, quote, saving the planet. I mean, that's he's just putting it out there. He really does believe that they are a group of superheroes that have superhuman powers, that they are above the rest of us normal people, terrestrial people, and that they're coming together because of some kind of touchstone of compassion, you know, something they experienced in their life to save 
the planet. They really think they're going to save the planet. I mean, never mind the fact that a lot of these people have a bigger footprint, if you will, carbon footprint than the vast majority of us because of how much they fly private, because of how big their homes are, how much they use. But again, it's that we're dirty and they're not. So it's not even that they see it as hypocrisy, the fact that they fly these private jets, they see it as kind of like just a hierarchy. It's just how it is. They're a special group of people. They get to do what they want to do. The problem is the rest of us. I mean, ultimately, John Kerry and people like John Kerry believe that they have a sort of superhuman-like power, as you said earlier, to micromanage society and, and make decisions for people that frankly, they're incapable of making on their own, according to his way of thinking. We have quote after quote after quote from people like John Kerry and Klaus Schwab and other people making very similar statements to that. They have this idea that there's this, that they're the expert class. And this idea goes all the way back to the early progressive era in the United States. Really, it, it goes back thousands of years of, of across human history, people believing that uh, the experts at the top are well equipped to make decisions and everybody else isn't. And the reasons behind that have changed over the course of time. You know, there were periods of time when sort of established churches uh, were the ones that supposedly had sort of divine powers to make the right decisions. You had periods of time when you had kings who were chosen by God, a sort of divine right idea where they were being protected by God in some sort of supernatural way. You had emperors who believed that they were gods. And because they're God, then they're obviously the source of all of this revelation. And the more modern examples of this with John Kerry and the progressive era is it's science, it's mathematics, it's this idea that society has been evolving in sort of this Darwinian way that goes all the way back to the 1800s and early 1900s with people like Woodrow Wilson and Franklin Roosevelt. Uh, people who believe, yeah, if we just put the experts in charge of society, everyone will be better off. And uh, you're seeing people like John Kerry make that case. And these, this Gaia initiative that I was talking about earlier, I mean, that's a huge part of all of this, even though this isn't a government program, it's a public-private partnership between government and um, and nonprofits and corporations and other powerful interests. They're working together. That's the new. That's what the Great Reset model is all about. It's about how can we work together, elites, all elites, not just people in government, but all elites across the private sector and public sector to manage society in a way that we think would be better. And oh, by the way, we might get really rich off of that too. And that's sort of this great side benefit. But how can how can we improve society and transform, um, uh, rewrite the social contract and all of that stuff by working together? In the same speech that we were just hearing from John Kerry and another part of that speech, he was, because this presentation that he was speaking at was all about this Gaia initiative. And uh, at another part of his speech, he said that the key to battling climate change is uh, philanthropy. And he said, it's not the only key. We need governments to put public money into it too. So that's the public-private partnership. But the secret to this partnership is Gaia. And so that's how a lot of these elites are looking at this new program. It's another piece in the puzzle. You've got social credit scores like ESG. We've talked about that before. I'm sure we're going to talk about that again. Um, you've got Gaia and initiatives like that. You've got coordination between the public and private sector, these two powerful institutions working together, all rowing in the same direction. And if they're moving in the same direction, then regular people are going to have to come along with 
with the uh, with their program, whether they want to or not, because at the end of the day, if you can't get a bank loan because the bank says you have to act in a certain way or you can't say certain things, you have to drive a certain car, or you have to have solar panels on the roof of your house or you can't get insurance because the insurance companies are saying the same thing or, um, you know, you can't go to your favorite store without having to buy products or get services that are aligned with these goals, or you can't watch Netflix, or you can't watch a movie at the movie theater because all of those companies are also embedding these values in it. You can't say certain things on social media, and you can't go certain places at certain times because you know that's going to create problems as well. That's part of this whole smart city initiative that Davos is also promoting. Um, then obviously you might technically have power, but you don't really in, in actuality have control over your life. Uh, all of these decisions are being made for you. And that's what Davos is all about. It's how do we get the private sector and the public sector working together to micromanage society? All right, another pause to tell you guys about Birch Gold. We know that the future is unstable and you want to make sure that your retirement, that your savings are all as secure as possible. And Birch Gold can help you do that. They make it easy to convert an IRA or 401k into an IRA in precious metals. All you have to do is text the word Allie to 989-898. Claim your free info kit on gold. So if you just need to learn more about this, you want to know what the deal is with gold, this is not an obligation. All you have to do is text them 989-898. Text to that number and they'll just send you a free info kit no obligation you can learn more about it you'll be glad that you did so text ally to number 989-898 and it's not just that they want to manage society like at some level there have to be a group of people who are making decisions and yes we vote and we live in a representative democracy and we believe that that's ideal but at some level someone is making decisions without picking up the phone and consulting all of his constituents so it's not only that these people want to make decisions on behalf of everyone else is that they're wrong. It's that the pretense for the policies that they want to put in place and what they want to force on people is wrong. Their catastrophe that they are trying to use to justify reforming society so that they have more power and we have no power or property is wrong. They're wrong about global warming. Here is um, Al Gore, who has been chronically wrong about global warming. <laughs> and the climate for a very long time, just doubling down on his hysteria. That's what's boiling the oceans, creating these atmospheric rivers and the rain bombs and sucking the moisture out of the land and creating the droughts and melting the ice and raising the sea level and causing these waves of climate refugees predicted to reach one billion in this century. Look at the xenophobia and political authoritarian trends that have come from just a few million refugees. What about a billion? We would lose our capacity for self-governance on this world. We have to act. What in the world is he even talking about? I mean, the oceans are not boiling and there aren't a billion refugees. I saw that the UN predicted in 2005 there'd be 50 million climate refugees by 2010 and we didn't get anywhere close. And so they scrubbed it from the website. And now he's saying there's going to be a billion and something about xenophobia. And I don't even know. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is um, it, what's really interesting is when you sort of trace the uh, the sort of the predictions and the craziness related to climate change, it has progressively gotten crazier and crazier and crazier, even though the predictions that they had made in the past don't come true. So even though they keep getting the predictions wrong, rather than just push out their predictions five, 10 years into the future, which is obviously something that they do, but rather than just do that, 
they also add to it this more extreme sort of dire language. And that's why you have people legitimately believing that the world is not going to life on earth is, is not going to survive a climate catastrophe within the next sort of century. You've yeah. got people who are our age saying, I don't know if I want to have kids because if I have kids, I'm contributing to the climate crisis. And I don't know if I even want them living in a world where oceans are boiling and there's a billion climate refugees and all of these crazy things that are happening. And, and so even though they keep getting the predictions wrong, they they continue to add to the craziness of the predictions. That's the whole notion of existential crisis. I mean, every single person who ran for president on the Democratic Party side um, back in 2020, every single one. So all the different candidates from Kamala Harris and Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders and all these different people, they all said uniformly that climate change is an existential crisis. Existential crisis means it, that everyone will die. All life on earth is imperiled by it. And there is no evidence at all to suggest that not mm. even the scientists at the United Nations in in like the IPCC and other groups that focus on this, that have a very dire sort of position on climate that I don't necessarily agree with. Even they would not say that all life on earth is on the verge of of disintegrating or that yeah. we're all going to die from this. No one would say that. So why does Al Gore say these things, even though he's, he's been around a long time. He knows his predictions haven't been right. Why does he keep making those predictions? Because he also knows that he, I mean, he's seen the same opinion polling that I've seen. The vast majority of people do not prioritize climate change as an issue and they don't care about it. But climate change is really important for people in Davos and elites in general, because it is the perfect justification. If they can convince enough people to believe that it's a, it's a potential catastrophe for all life, it's a perfect justification for doing almost anything that you could possibly want. Yeah. Because if, if the alternative is everybody dies, then freedom doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. Right. Same I mean, thing with COVID. What, right. Same thing with COVID. And, and, and the difference between COVID and climate change is, more people believed that COVID was an existential threat. Not a lot of people believe that about climate change. That's why when they poll people and they say, do you think climate change is you know, going to pose a significant threat to the world or whatever? Even the people who say yes, when they then ask them, well, how much money per month would you be willing to spend extra money in order to stop it? A lot of people won't even spend like 10 or $15 a month to do it. So if you really believe that's an existential threat, you wouldn't you wouldn't say that. So the rhetoric has to keep uh, going up. Yeah. You have to keep ratcheting that up because at some point in time, uh, you either got to abandon this strategy or you got to get people to a point where they say, "Oh my God, like a billion refugees." If if people actually believed that, then yeah, of course there would be massive sweeping reforms. And, and they would be willing to give away all of their freedoms to avoid a billion refugees. Yeah, that's that's what would happen. It's just nobody actually believes it. So they're going to keep spreading this idea, even though it's not based on any evidence whatsoever. There's no empirical evidence, like you said, that the, the oceans are on the verge of boiling or that at, at one point uh, in that same speech, he said that the, the amount of heat that's being trapped in the atmosphere is like 600 Hiroshima bombs going off, you know, this kind of just insane language. Um, they're going to keep upping the ante until we get to a point where enough younger people, especially 
uh, who come of voting age believe, yeah, you know what? We're all going to die if we don't do something. And then at that point, all bets are off. Yeah. And while we might look at that strategy and say, well, I don't, you know, it doesn't seem to be working. When you look at polling data from different parts of the world, it shows pretty clearly that uh, in certain areas of the world, they really do believe this, younger people especially. Yeah. And more and more younger people in America are believing it. And so that really is the plan. This is a long term. We're going to play 10, 20 years into the future, keep upping the ante. And eventually we hope that we can get a majority of younger people to believe this and then give us everything we've always wanted anyway. It just so happens that this existential crisis fits right into what we needed. But does it really matter if they have enough people to believe them? They're going to do it anyway. So is there anything? I mean, I ask you this every time, but is there anything like we can do. I know we talk about it. They don't like to be exposed and all of that stuff. But it I mean, I know voting in your local election and in your national elections actually do matter if you have enough people who represent you in the United States who are not going along uh, with this agenda that can at least be a hedge against their totalitarian power. But I mean, what else what else can we do? Because it's easy to just get blackpilled by BlackRock and think that there's, you know, we're just totally powerless to change the future for the better. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's I think that's such an important point. So I do think that there are a lot of things that can be done. I I, I think that at the core, though, I, I, I acknowledge that it's not going to be easy. And I think fundamentally where we're at in society is we need, even on the right, we need a fundamental, complete shift in the way that we think about things. Um, not just in terms of policy and things like that, but just in the way we think about life, in the way we think about how we live our lives, in the way we think about what matters to us and what doesn't matter to us. Uh, all the old sort of, a lot of the old sacred cows of the past kind of need to be slaughtered. We need to move on from that. Uh, and by that, what I mean is, um, for one, conservatives had for a very long time uh, sort of just taken a back seat and they focused on their in public policy and what's going on in the world and being sort of activists and things like that. Uh, and, and they've said, you know, I've got a job and I've got kids and, you know, I've got a, rec a recital I got to go to on Saturday and I've got to work 40 hours. I got some big presentation I got to work on. And and they've and they've been focused on their 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 own life, which I totally understand. I completely get it. And they've allowed all of the institutions around them, all of them, every institution we have from media to schools and uh, K through 12 schools, colleges, various government agencies, nonprofit institutions, churches, all these things have been taken over by people who do not share their values. And rather than getting involved and pushing back against that, what conservatives have a tendency to do is, if they don't like what they're seeing in an institution, they often leave the institution and either give up entirely on whatever that is, or they go find some other institution that, or start a new institution that sort of aligns with their values. But that's never how the left deals with anything. The way that they operate is they keep hammering away. They join an institution, even if it doesn't, they don't agree with it. They keep hammering away at it until they get, they transform it into something that they want. And it becomes a tool for furthering their own agendas. And I think it's time that conservatives recognize that at every level, whether it's the workplace that you have, the corporation you work at, 
it's the um, the the sort of the PTA down the street, right? And, and getting involved in your local public schools, um, thinking about local businesses a little bit more carefully and where you shop and where you buy. We need to start thinking like activists and less like people who are just too busy to deal with all of that stuff. And I, and I, and I totally get it and sympathize with that. I really do. I struggle with this all the time. I'm a very busy person and it's hard to be involved in all this stuff locally. But honestly, the the only chance we have is to build local communities that, that are in line with our values and to protect the institutions within them. And if they're not um, from outside influences. And if they're not doing the things that we believe to transform them so that they are promoting the things that we believe, because conservatives have lots of power and lots of money and they, and lots of knowledge and, and, but they're not utilizing it in the same way that people on the left are. So I think everything needs to change in the way we think about our lives and what, what matters to us, because it really isn't just about, well, I want to make sure the PTA is, you know, doing the right things, or I want to make sure the school board has the right sort of people on it, or I want, this is about what your kids believe. This is about what the country looks like in 10 or 20 years when, yeah. you know, the, the younger people have more power than they have today. This is about making sure your church does not become a place that's basically just like a left-wing activist organization. I mean, it, it's, it's about we're losing our entire society and way of life. And if we're not willing to fight for that, the way the left is willing to fight to transform it, then we sort of deserve to lose, you know? And so I think we need to become more activists and, and that touches a whole bunch of different issues, but the way that these elites see things, there's no doubt about it whatsoever. One of the greatest benefits to having this public private partnership is that they believe that they can they can uh, promote these changes and enact these changes um, in a way that is sort of outside the political sphere. And they've largely been able to do that by getting these people on board and giving them, funneling lots of money to them through central banks and the financial system and Wall Street and the Fed printing money and all of that stuff. They've been very successful at doing that. But they, they believe that that's their salvation. And so I think what conservatives need to do is we need to start rethinking the role of government and these big, gigantic private corporations. And a lot of people don't want to hear that, but I, but I do think that that's something that we need to do. And by that, I don't mean we should have government, you know, micromanage corporations or anything like that. But I think that if you're a corporation in the United States, especially a large one, and you have taken massive bailouts from taxpayers and you are given special tax advantages and you have special regulatory advantages and you have special legal protections that prevent you from like being uh, liable for various things that happen and, and other things like social media companies and others. And you're getting all these special protections from the public. Uh, I don't know why you should be allowed to create policies that discriminate against the people that are providing you with all of those benefits. I don't understand that. Yeah. And I, and I get that a lot of conservatives are very, you know, nervous when we start talking about regulations and all of that. And I get that. But I think what I think it's completely legitimate to say that a gigantic public corporation that's getting all those benefits from taxpayers 
should yeah. exist to serve taxpayers and that right. all taxpayers and that they should uh, uh, their policies should be made with business decisions in mind. Yes. And supply and demand and all of that but that they shouldn't be able to discriminate against people based on politics or ideology or religious views or a whole bunch of other things. And right now that's what's happening. We're seeing that get worse and worse and worse. And so I do think there needs to be legal protections in place that make it so that your bank can't say, oh, well, we saw on social media that, you know, you uh, are a Republican or you're a gun owner yeah. or that you have a gun shop or that uh, you know, you're driving a car that isn't an electric car, or your business doesn't have enough electric vehicles in its fleet or whatever, therefore we're not gonna do business with you. Right. Because in my mind, that kind of discrimination mixed with the coordination that's going on with government is the essence of tyranny and, and, and fascism and all of these things that we're really afraid of. It isn't just going to come from government. It's going to come from this mixture of government and private institutions working together. Yeah. And if we're not willing to take that seriously and step into that realm and say, okay, well, if you're going to be a public corporation and get all these benefits and get bailouts and take COVID money and everything else, then you have to be open for everybody. You can't discriminate. Uh, if we're not willing to do that, then yeah, we're probably going to lose at the end of the day. Okay, last sponsor for the day, and that is NetSuite. Okay, if you don't know your numbers, then you don't know your business. If you are a business owner, you need to make sure that all of your numbers are organized. I know that can be hard to do, especially if that's not something that you really enjoy spending your time on, and that is why you need NetSuite. Over 33,000 businesses know their numbers because they use NetSuite by Oracle, the number one cloud financial system. It's the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. With visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR planning, budgeting, and more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. For the new year, NetSuite has a financing program for those ready to upgrade at NetSuite.com slash Allie. NetSuite.com slash Allie for this one-of-a-kind financing offer on the number one financial system for growing businesses, NetSuite.com slash Allie. Wow, those are really good points, but also gives you a little bit of hope because, okay, there are things that we can be doing and thinking about. Um, as always, I wish that we had more time. We have to cut it a little short today we'll have you back into a part two because our outline is a lot longer than everything that we were able to get to but here is i just want your reaction to one final video i want you to kind of i have no idea what this person is trying to communicate and because you are our interpreter i want you to help us just understand just succinctly like how this particular thing a suggestion is going to impact us day to day <laughs> Tell us what's going on here, Justin. Yeah, well, well, you know, I, I wish I had an answer, but unfortunately, I've got it. But, but the good news is that I got a team of interpreters on it right now. They're working on it night and day. It's top priority over here at the Heartland Institute. But we just haven't come up with an answer yet. So. Uh, we're working on it, but we think it might be some kind of ancient language. Maybe it's that extraterrestrial thing that John Kerry was talking about. I'm not really sure. Yeah. But uh, when I get an answer, I promise you will be the first person that finds out. Oh, okay, thank you. This is going to keep me up at night. Well, Justin, thank you so much. Thanks for paying attention to this. So 
Not everyone else has to, or at least as closely as you. They can just pay attention to you and hear your analysis of it. Um, I'm very thankful. I appreciate you taking the time to come on and tell us what the world's elites are up to. Of course. Anytime, Allie. And people can find you on Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff. And then tell us your website again. StoppingSocialism.com. StoppingSocialism.com. Sounds good. Thanks so much, Justin. Thank you. Thank you.